You're listening to Free Your Inner Guru, a podcast for big-hearted leaders making a meaningful impact in the world. We dive deep into conversations about conscious leadership, choosing a life of personal growth, spirituality, and the self-help industry so that you can connect to your inner wisdom and become the leader you want to see in the world. To engage with me, your host, Laura Tucker, and the podcast online, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, something really super special is happening as we launch the Free Your Inner Guru community. You can become a supporting member. Help me to keep this podcast going um, by joining our private online Patreon community that is forming. The uh, website for that is patreon.com slash freeyourinnerguru. And I am so happy and grateful to welcome the founding members into this community, Dan Snow, Lindsay Keefe, Amy Talbot and Scott Waldron. Um, They will be joining me once a month for a private uh, community Zoom. And uh, they are based on the free community Zooms that I've been running since mid-March. And uh, these are dynamite conversations and have inspired me to take it to the next level and provide um, a place for like-minded leaders to gather, regardless of what your discipline is, what your role in your professional life is, but to gather and have a space where you can be authentically you and get what you need to support uh, others because that's what conscious leaders do. We also have a bunch of new supporting listeners. You'll recognize Julie Min from one of the early episodes. Thank you, Julie, as well as Teresa White, Julie Langhorn, Kelly Greer, and Wade Gilpin. Your support is incredibly meaningful to me and, uh, how you can get involved as a listener in either being a supporting listener or a member of the community, come on over to the website and, uh, and just take a look and see what fits for you. I'd like to introduce you to this week's guest, Jill Castle. Jill believes that we need to do a better job of supporting parents to nourish our children and our kids are the leaders of tomorrow. Jill and I met a few years ago at a convention for speakers, and she just struck me as so um, elegant, well-spoken, and focused in her message. And during this conversation, she and I talk about the dance between getting what you need as a parent, raising an independent, autonomous child, and how systemic change is needed to raise more physically and psychologically empowered humans. Jill is a guide. She has a guidebook. And she knows that it's very difficult for parents when they know in their heart that they are struggling. Um, They don't know where to get help. And every child from toddler to teen who wants that level of autonomy and agency, it's all normal, but it can really throw parents for a loop. And during this conversation... She and I get into a little bit too what it was like for me as a stepmom to get involved um, with a teenager without an instruction book. So that was very interesting to uh, be able to bring that piece of the conversation because nutrition played a huge role there. Jill, I'll just uh, set her up so you know the powerhouse that you are listening to. She is one of North America's premier child nutrition experts. She is known for shifting paradigms and she blends current research, practical application together with common sense and her own experience from her own parenting journey when she, as a nutritionist, 
gave birth to a child that didn't want to eat. So hang in there for the story. It's later on in the episode. But Jill is a sought-after speaker, advisor, and media contributor. She has a TEDx talk that is on her site. She's authored several books, including um, Fearless Feeding, which she co-authors. She has a blog called The Norris Child and a podcast of the same name. And I'm told that she is law has just launched a program to support parents. So do check that out at her website. This, uh, this episode after I finish here is a hundred percent COVID-19 free. It was recorded at the end of 2019. And, um, I contacted Jill just to see if she had any bits of wisdom to share that might, um, somehow help to put this conversation out there and, and make sure that it doesn't contribute to overwhelm for parents who have been in their house for months now with their little loved ones. And especially as we're finding out locally what's happening with school, right? So um, she encouraged us all to acknowledge the challenge, but also to look at the silver linings, including more time with the kids and a less busy schedule. So on that note, I introduce you to a wide-ranging conversation with Jill Castle, and I welcome you to come on over to either our Facebook or Instagram accounts or over to the episode page on lauratucker.com and uh, give me any of your questions or comments uh, to facilitate an even greater conversation about our role as parents, nourishing tomorrow's leaders. Enjoy. Our guest today is Jill Castle. Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru, Jill. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here. So I would love to frame up everything we're going to talk today with a little bit about your story and in your career, how you came to be a dietitian and why you chose pediatrics. And then we'll Mm. get into, you know, a big conversation about um, health and impact on, on, and really anything as far as leadership and, and just have that bigger conversation together. So just okay. take us back so we get to know you. Oh, take us back. So, um, well, originally I thought I was going to be a doctor. And so I went the track of uh, at university studying pre-med. And unfortunately, I was a victim of the weed out process when I took organic chemistry my brain is very challenged with maps and geography and organic chemistry really is like geometrical blueprints and systems and things. So I I didn't fail, but I didn't do well enough to feel like I could move on to medical school. So I uh, took a different, uh, I pivoted basically, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. My dad said, try all these different things out, try nutrition. So I took a nutrition 101 class and really just, I did very well in it. And uh, it really just connected with my brain. It was enough science and enough, um, just all the things I was looking for, biology, physiology, anatomy, it was all those great things. So I uh, did my nutrition major and back way back then, 28 years ago, you had to do an internship. And today it's a little bit different. You still do an internship, but there's a lot of different pathways to becoming a registered dietitian. Did my internship at Boston, <clears throat> in Boston at Mass General, did a pediatric rotation, 
for two weeks. Um, and basically during your internship, you're rotating through all these different um, populations, cardiovascular patients, cancer patients, and you get to do two weeks on a pediatric floor, which I fell in love day one. I was scared out of my pants because these, these people were so little and so vulnerable and so, so sick. I was so afraid I was going to hurt them. But I also, I love children. I have four of my own. I spent my younger years babysitting and working with kids all the time. So it was a natural fit, um, challenging professionally, medically, nutritionally, scientifically challenging. Um, so it fed all of those sort of needs that I had. And so I started down the path of pediatric nutrition. I was fortunate when I ended my internship that Mass General had a position open in that area. So they offered it to me. I took it and there I started. Over the years, it's it's evolved over the years from, you know, working in hospitals with very sick children as a clinical dietitian to being a stay-at-home full-time mom for nine years to then opening my own business, starting with a private practice and then sort of branching out into all kinds of different avenues, blogging, podcasting, authorship, speaking, all kinds of things. And, and what is the... What is the change that you seek to make through your work? So I oftentimes, you know, I think about this a lot because when I first started, I, I had a very strong passion for children and helping parents do a great job of feeding their children. But over time, I've realized that I have a purpose and that there's, there's a reason I'm on this planet, and that is to help parents. Um, the byproduct is that children get the best nutrition and the best relationship around food as a result of that. But my purpose is to help parents do better at feeding and nourishing their children. And then secondarily, I've discovered over the last five or so years that um, my purpose is also to help other uh, nutrition professionals in my field uh, get started in their businesses, see their businesses as a bigger opportunity for impact than just working one with one person at a time. Mm, so important. And what was it that, that made the, the shift to you from, from being motivated to, to help the kids to help or support the parents? I think the shift initially started, the seed was planted for the shift when I had my first baby. And I remember my husband and I, we went through this Lamaze class. We spent like 12 weeks, two or three hours a week learning how to breathe and anticipate all the different steps of birthing a baby. And then we went and had our baby and it was a 15 hour delivery. It was a little traumatic, I have to add, but... Um, we got through it. I was prepared based on this Lamaze class. And I remember saying to my husband, gee, if we gave half this time to parents to educate them around feeding their babies and their toddlers and their kid, you know, their kids and their teens, think about what a difference that would make. That was a comment I made it to my husband 23 years ago. It wasn't until probably six or seven years ago that I realized that this actually is a huge problem in our country. The fact that we don't prepare parents for nourishing their children, the fact that we don't do a very good job of supporting them throughout childhood is really, I believe, a big reason why we have so many health problems in children that are related to nutrition today. Things like child 
obesity and picky eating and food allergies. They're all tied in some way, shape, or form to the lack of education that parents get and the lack of support. The only time parents get support for nutrition is if they have a problem. Mm. And and by problem, are you, my mind, I, I didn't raise any young children, but I taught school. That mm-hmm. was my first career. So mm-hmm. I had kids in the classroom and, uh, and I had quite a scope of um, working in wealthier neighborhoods versus neighborhoods that were um, less economically viable. Mm-hmm. And so you would see definite differences in the, the children's um, appearances and, and by that, I mean like their, their skin tone and their energy levels and, and, and so forth. So I'm thinking of that, but I'm also, th- because, and I guess I'm framing that up as potentially behavioral issues and mm-hmm. as uh, what other issues were coming out that got your attention in that way? I think, you know, from anywhere from like the day-to-day struggles that parents have with trying to get their kids to eat what they make, those basic struggles uh, that happen at the table. Please take another bite. If you do, I'll give you dessert. Um, If you don't finish your plate, you have to sit at the table until you do, or you're going to get that food the next morning. Those basic struggles are happening every single day across America. And as a result, our children, many times our children are growing up with a distorted, dysfunctional relationship with food. They might not like coming to the table. They might, you know, favor sweets over vegetables because they've been bribed so many times over the years. But but that is a basic. And then blowing that out and looking at, you know, one in three children are overweight or obese in our country. That's a food problem, but it's also a feeding problem. It's an education problem as well as an economic problem. And so, you know, um, ADHD, behavioral issues in the classroom, in part are related to nutrition. Um, Perhaps lack of certain nutrients early on, inadequate eating during school, no breakfast, lack of appetite for lunch. I mean, if you've been a teacher, you've seen all of this, but even iron deficiency anemia, even um, just kids who are um, underweight, not growing well, there's just a whole gamut. And I'm not saying that education, a lack of education of parents is the reason for all of these things, but it certainly plays a role. And I believe that if parents were better supported early on, a lot of these things could be avoided um, Mm -hmm. or corrected before they got too difficult for families to turn them around. So what would be a red flag for somebody um, listening to think, you know, that there would be solutions that they need to, to look at because it sounds, it sounds like it would be very disempowering and to not feel like you knew what you were doing mm-hmm. when it came to feeding your kids. And then I'm actually going back to, I don't have it. I've never had my own child, but I have a stepson who was mm-hmm. full-time with me as a teenager. And so he came into my life and his dad obviously came into my life. And it was, I was not just feeding me and my dog. I was like, I was feeding three and that was a lot. It is a lot. He was Um, quite a lot older though. Like he was, it wasn't childhood nutrition necessarily, but still it's like, where's the guidebook? Exactly. 
where's the guidebook? Where's the guide? (laughs) I mean, I consider myself a guide, but how many parents know that somebody like me is out there? They go to their pediatrician and their pediatrician might say, yes, we have a problem. I'm going to send you to a pediatric dietitian. But many, many times a pediatrician says, don't worry about it. You'll get through this. And yes, it can be very um, frightening, concerning, and disempowering for parents to know in their heart that they're struggling with an issue around food and nutrition and feeding with their child and not knowing where to find help. And um, oftentimes, you know, the internet, the web world complicates this even further sometimes because then we go out in the in the internet and we look for solutions and answers and everybody's a nutrition expert. If you eat, you're an expert, at least on yourself, you are. But there are a lot of people out there that that are passing along potentially, um, well, what I see anyways is potentially information that really is geared towards adults and it's applied to kids. And kids are a very special population. They're growing. Their needs are changing all the time. Um, and teens, yes, I consider as you know, fitting under that umbrella of child nutrition, because there is an enormous amount of growth that's happening during the adolescent years and nutrient needs are shooting up very high. So are calorie needs and protein and all these different elements that, that they need to support that growth. And yet at the same time, they have all this freedom and independence and they're making choices for themselves and they're, they do need a guide. They need a knowledgeable parent to help them navigate the world of food because Otherwise, they're going to be at the drive-through fast food restaurant um, on the daily if they have their driver's license. And many parents aren't comfortable with that. They know they don't want their child eating that way, but they don't know how to approach it and manage it. It sounds to me like it's also, and I think because I have that framework of the teenager in my in my head, it's also sometimes a um battle for control of some time of con is that come up? Yeah. That's the that's the developmental component of raising children all through childhood. Every child wants some level of autonomy and agency. And um, we see the toddler and the teen being very similar. I do it, no, um, I want the independence, I'm making my own decisions. I don't care what you say. That's all very normal, but it can really throw parents for a loop. And so, again, when parents know what to anticipate and they're educated and they have a guide to get them through these stages, uh, they can rest assured, feel empowered, not disempowered, uh, and help their children navigate through these, these times. And I think the goal of any parenting relationship is to be able to look, oh, I raised a healthy, independent, you know, um, person, you know, adult with values and, and sense of self. Mm-hmm. And, and this seems like a tremendous, has a tremendous impact. In, I think it does. In that development of, of agency, right? Because you want so. them to know who they are. Yep. So let's go over some of the things that you see um, as either problematic or symptomatic that, that something might be off. So with a teenager or with any age child? Yeah, with or? any age kid. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if, 
if you're a parent and you're struggling at the table to get your child to eat and your child is digging in their heels and not very compliant, not very excited, um, there's not a lot of joy at the table when you come together as a family, that's a red flag that something is off. Um, it has nothing to do with the food that you're putting on the table. It has everything to do with the dynamic and the relationship. Uh, and so what we know about children is these dynamics and relationships definitely affect how well they eat, how healthy they eat. So we want to get all three things right. We want to get the food right. We want to get the feeding interaction right. And we want to get that developmental um, support in the right place. So anytime, you know, uh, and of course, physical signs, anytime you see a child's weight really drop off or really pick up, um, that can be a concern. That can be a red flag for unhealthy eating, inadequate eating, inadequate nutrition. Um, I think if you're, you're seeing, um, behaviors that are repetitive around food, uh, if you're seeing anxiety around the, at the table or around food, uh, if you're seeing a child being too controlling with their food and not relaxed about food, it can, it can throw up a red flag that there's a disturbed relationship with food in somehow, some way. And I'm kind of thinking about, you know, disordered eating and the development of eating disorders. So there are lots of, there are lots of things. What I've come to know, I've been in this field for 28 years. What I've come to know is that parents pretty much know when something's off, they might not say something's off and I know there's something off, but they might feel it internally and they might be trying to figure it out and work it out on their own. Oftentimes when there is a problem and a child lands in my office, for example, the parent will know that there's been a problem going on for a while that they've been trying to figure out and get on top of. Um, so I really believe, I really believe when a parent comes to the doctor and says, I'm really worried about my child who's a picky eater. And the doctor says, don't worry about it. This is normal. But the parent knows inside, no, this is not normal. I know it's not normal, but I'm going to go with the authority here who says it is. I believe the parent. I always believe the parent because as a parent myself, you know, when things are off. You know when things are off with your child, and if it's food, what they eat, how much they eat, the types of foods they pick, their weight status, um, all you, you get a good sense. If you know your kid, you know when things are off or going down the wrong path. And, and so I suppose the idea of, is that it, it's not just a stage. There's probably things that you can do about it. Mm-hmm. Or it may be a stage, but maybe it's a stage we don't want to go on for years and years and years. Exactly. Um, there are lots of stages, but each stage has an endpoint, and there are lots of stages that are connected. Everything's connected. So how how you do with infancy and infant nutrition and feeding is going to connect and reflect on toddlerhood, and how well you do through toddlerhood with feeding your toddler will inform and influence the child you know, the childhood years. So that all the stages are connected. And, you know, for example, picky eating is a big topic amongst parents. I will tell parents, you know, it's typical for, for children age two to six, but beyond six, that's not normal. So there's an end to that stage. There's an end point. And of course, every child is different. But if you've got an eight or a nine-year-old that's still really picky, there's something else going on. We're past that developmental norm. So then we need to dig in and figure out what's going on. 
Um, if you have a child who, who seems to be, you know, really taken with sweets and treats and really into them and triggered by them and can't seem to have control over them, you know, there's not really an end stage to that unless you do something in your home to help shift the, the path. Uh, because that's something that just builds over time. Why is that child's child so triggered and involved with sweets? Is it because they never get any? Is it because you've been so restrictive that they they never get those foods? Or is it because, you know, they're they're dealing emotionally with other issues and they're using food and treats and sweets to deal with them? So there's oftentimes underlying things that can be uncovered and dealt with. If you look at things from sort of a, a societal level, what do you see some of the impact of leaving these things untended to? Well, I mean, I think we see it in growing healthcare issues amongst children. Like I mentioned, you know, obesity, how long have we been fighting the childhood obesity thing for a long, long time? And we're not really making grounds in that area. We're not making progress. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, if you look at some of the other statistics, it, food allergies are on the rise in children, uh, ADHD and other behavioral concerns on the rise in children, iron deficiency, anemia, rickets is coming back, which is a vitamin D deficiency. There are lots of things in childhood that are not, that are getting worse, not better. Um, and that relates, you know, that, that from a societal standpoint, that increases our health insurance our load on our hospitals um, and on our healthcare systems. And we also know that children who are challenged by medical conditions at a young age may be still dealing with those issues at an older age. Um, So not to paint a picture of doom and gloom, because I, I definitely don't think it has to be that way, but I think the other, the other impact and, and we can't deny this is that, you know, media, and marketing and advertising and the internet all has such a powerful impact on children and on their parents, but particularly on children. Um, and I, I just did a my own podcast. I just did an interview with the author of the book called Kid Food. And, you know, we really went back to the 1900s and, and looked at how different food was for children then and what it is like today. And kids today are a target market for advertisers. They're a target market. Advertisers spend billions of dollars trying to get parents and children to buy their products. That's a problem. It That's, is a problem. I actually, it's, it's in, interesting because I was at Costco yesterday mm-hmm. and I was fortunate in my own, when I was living in early stages of living on my own, I happened upon a book. It's now, I don't know how well regarded it is now, but it certainly planted in me, it was protein powder, power. Mm -hmm. And it planted in me the idea of shopping the outside of the grocery store, Mm -hmm. which was an excellent habit. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've, since then, you know, 20 plus years, I haven't spent a lot of time in the middle aisles. Yeah. So when I was at, and, and not in the, the section, certainly where there's stuff with young kids, cause I never really had to feed a, a young child on a day-to-day basis, but there was something, and maybe it was because I was anticip- subconsciously anticipating speaking with you, but I walked down an aisle at Costco <laughs> yesterday. And at the end of that aisle on the outside aisle, there was all these, um, these kids 
snacks. So there's all the purples and it's cartoony. And, and I was like, Oh, I'm not used to seeing that on the outside of the grocery store. Yeah. And, and it's the shiny object. It's the shiny object and it's the pester power. Uh, It's the, put it out here so the kids can see it. So they will (sighs) pester their parents to buy it. I, I think, you know, in all, it's very challenging for parents today to raise healthy eaters. They don't have the education, the knowledge, and the support, number one, which I, I talked about. But they also are facing a lot of obstacles. They they can get everything in their home 100% lovely, wonderful. They can be feeding nice, healthy, balanced meals. They can have treats and sweets that they offer their kids so they know how much and when those are happening. They can have positive family meals together. But then they let their children go out the front door and go to school or go to church or go to sports practices. And all that healthy eating influence is off. And kids are out there getting exposed and given lots of foods that parents might not necessarily want their kids to have. And when that happens, it's it's just a real uphill, difficult um, challenge for parents. It's frustrating. It is not easy. A, it's not easy to feed and raise a child. Uh, it's 18 years of, you know, anywhere from four to six feedings a day, depending on the age of the child. And then you have to contend with all the outside food and the influences like media and marketing. Uh, it's just a lot. It's a lot for parents today. Um, what are there any skills that you or basic skills that you guide parents towards as far as putting down a a framework for this like how do you approach it so my approach is you know I like to have family set up structure within the house around food and eating and meals and snacks so a framework something kids can count on. It's predictable for them. So that basically means meals and snacks kind of happening at the same time every day, you give or take 15, 30 minutes, but happening on a routine in the same place. Um, and the parent is making the decisions about the menu and the meals and the snacks, not the child, which is hard for some families because some families have given that responsibility unintentionally over to the child. Um, But having a system and a routine in place Mm -hmm. and then, you know, teaching families how to create a balanced meal um, and not just how to create a balanced meal, but how to rotate foods and make it interesting and flavors and textures and really getting the uh, getting parents to understand that, um, you know, the job of a parent in terms of feeding a child is to introduce them to as many different flavors and textures as you can and to keep that mealtime as pleasant and positive as you can uh, because you're not only wanting to have a child who eats healthy, you want them to have a good relationship with food. You want, and that means for your listeners who might not know what that means, you want to raise a child who enjoys eating who is not going to come to the table and say, oh, I can't eat that. That's not on my diet today. Or, oh, I can't have that. That's so toxic and bad for my body. 
when we teach children these things at a young age, it really sets a dichotomy up in their brains about food. And it's not the best way to nurture a healthy relationship with food. Um, I, it, it sounds to me too, like these are, we're talking about food, but we're talking about so much more, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's beliefs, that's um, relationships, that's stress management. Yes. And I think I, if I'm totally transparent, one of my biggest frustrations about my profession is that uh, people think nutrition is just food and it's not. There is so much underneath what's on that plate. It is your childhood history. How were you raised? How were you treated around food? And how has that influenced how you feel about food? And not only that, how do you feel about your own body, your own weight, your own place in this world? Because when you acknowledge that, that will reveal your biases in how you are raising your own children. So there's a lot of psychology behind this. There's, you know, the other thing is, is, you know, that interaction around food. If you're forcing and controlling and bribing your child to eat or taking things away and punishing and threatening, that psychology, that doesn't, that doesn't help your child eat better. That makes it worse for your child. But yet parents, unfortunately, are driven to, you know, with the best of intentions to feed their children as best they can, but it can sometimes lead them to um, participate in some of these interactions that are negative for the child and, and frankly, counterproductive to developing healthy eating habits and a healthy relationship with food. And while you were describing that, I was also envisioning what, what's it going to take to get that same child to say, study for good grades later. Mm-hmm. Like it gets more expensive. Yeah. To be, is it, ex- now to look at the parent, the parent just wants to get the food, like just yeah. wants to get the meal done. Yes. Right? The parent has XYZ clients, responsibilities, yeah. appointments, bosses. They're busy. busy. They're busy. Yeah. Yeah. So, what? Yeah. Like it is, it is, it is, it is. Yeah. I mean, it is the, the, I want this for my child, but this is my reality. And in order to get over here, honestly, I have to change my mindset, my priorities and the daily actions that I'm taking. This is a beautiful place to be. Uh, connecting with your child around food and feeding is a very beautiful, rewarding, empowering place to be for a parent. Mm-hmm. Being over here, I'm stressed out. I don't have time. I just want to get through this. Ultimately leads parents down a path of guilt, dissatisfaction, and disempowerment and regret because they get to that 18th year and they had all this time to be over here, nurturing, connecting, making the most of those moments, but they're too busy to, and then we regret, or we have health problems, or, you know, I should have done this differently. And what I really try to emphasize with my clients and in the work I do is that 
path. Sometimes we have to do it differently than the way we were raised. We need to educate mm-hmm. ourselves a little bit more and we need to embrace the role and the power, the power behind parenting is so strong. I mean, there's such great power there to mold children into those healthy eaters, but it doesn't, it's not on a wish and a prayer. It takes daily effort. I'm getting all hot and heated up. You got me going. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. It's good. I love it. I love it. So I want to tap back into that because I'm like, ah, oh, she's on a roll, right? So, so, okay, this is mirroring a conversation I had literally this morning with a, a nutritionist who works with adults. And we mm-hmm. were talking about, and I'm a coach, so we get, we get chatting. And she said uh, something along the lines like, when, when I'm working with my clients, if they're not able to make the changes that I'm suggesting, or if they don't make the changes, like they've paid me they're I'm doing what I'm doing with them. She was articulating that she's like, and I take it so personally, like, like, what am I not doing? How am I not communicating it? How am I not conveying this to be able to have that impact? And, you know, and I said to her, I said, well, it's not the food. And she's like, I know, like, we know it's not the food and yet we make it the food. Well, that's the easy thing to do. It's black or white. It's, it's a healthy diet or it's a not healthy diet. I'm at fault for this or I'm successful at that, but it is not, the food is the end, um, sort of the end result of everything underneath I, I would propose, you know, I work with clients too. And when, when they're not making the changes, I mean, I've been doing this for so long. I realize that you know, not everybody is ready to make the changes. They, it's like anything, weight loss, fitness improvement, a bigger salary, bigger income in your business. You have these goals up here, but there is so much work that has to happen below that to get there. And you really have to be committed and persistent and consistent. Uh, and for me, if, if a client can't do those things, we back it way back down to the things that they can do. Uh, because I do think it's very important to make, make steps of progress. Otherwise you lose your clients. If they are not seeing progress, we might have to redefine what progress looks like. We might have to make those steps very, very small, but every little step forward leads to the next step. And, um, and sometimes parent parents, for me, they come in thinking it's food and we dive into other stuff like feeding and their childhood experiences and how that translates to what they're doing today. And, and that almost always grabs their attention because nobody's ever talked to them about those things before. And they are emotional things that resonate and speak to their heart. And they, they realize that, yeah, it wasn't great for me. I don't want to do that to my kid. I want to do it differently. I don't want to act that out again in the parent role. Yeah. 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 That, that can be huge. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you find when you, I was thinking about sustainability when you're saying sometimes back it down. We live in, um, in a culture that talks a lot about instant results or markets for instant results. And I see that a lot in my work. I certainly see it in my Facebook, Instagram, and whatever feeds in the, 
<laughs> right. <laughs> Social media is not my favorite. <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> right. Oh, so, yeah. but that's what, but that's what, that's what they're steeped in the kids and the parents. And I know I'm generalizing, but that's what most people are steeped in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's very shaming. Mm. Like, heaping like layer upon layer of shame onto what is a very real day-to-day challenge, whether that's feeding the child or growing the business or whatever, like that in the trenches work is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, we sort of punish ourselves by going into social media with our problems. I mean, we open ourselves wide open to everybody's opinion. We'll do this or do that. I see it all the time. I, that's why I don't really like to participate. Even though I run a business page I and I get questions, um, I, I don't know. I try to keep it on the lighter side and not personal. Because to me, personal, if you have a personal issue um, and it can be a fast fix. You can get a nice little, you know, resource and go check it out. But if you've got a problem, if you've got a child failing to thrive or is, you know, doesn't eat anything and you're coming to Facebook for answers, that's not the right place to go. Yeah. You're going to get feedback. That's going to make you feel bad about yourself. You're going to get unsolicited feedback about things that you should be doing differently, which is ultimately going to cause pain and guilt and shame and all of those things. Um, I think, you know, in terms of sustainability, I, I think, you know, as a, as a practicing dietitian, you as a coach, you know that we have to meet our families exactly where they're at. And to understand where they're at, we have to ask a lot of questions and um, hope that we're getting truthful answers. And I always encourage my families, you know, to, to be as um, honest and transparent as they can be and to also be prepared for questions from me that are going to dig a little bit because I'm going to be able to help them so much better if I understand those things than if we're all playing like it's just about the food. Ah. (laughs) What's, so tell me more about that. I, I think, I think sometimes we are surface, it's safe, and we play on the surface, and even professionals, we don't dig in. And I think that, I believe that successful professionals who are successful are that way because they've tapped into some secret sauce, some magic uh, interactions, some motivational uh, stuff that keeps their clients coming back and helps their clients be successful. I think if you are, let me give you a meal plan and here's the answer to your problems, you're not going very far with that client and you're not truly helping Mm. them. So, and you mentioned, you mentioned early in our conversation that, that your, what you do now in your practice has evolved. You're still working with the families and the parents um, in particular. And, and, but you also said that you're, you're helping other nutritionists develop their business. Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah. is that, do you incorporate that into your, into your work with them? Do you try to mm-hmm. like, shift how, mm-hmm. how people are working? Yeah, I do. Um, so I started working with other nutritionists in the pediatric space and other healthcare 
professionals in the in the pediatric space about three years ago. I resisted doing it for a long time. I get asked a lot to, or over the years, I've been asked a lot to mentor other professionals mm. and help them. And um, I, I used to say, that's not my, that's not my people. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to help parents. You know, you guys figure out your own thing. And then um, with the help of my own business coach, I realized that, you know, when the world is asking things of you, you need to pause and listen. And um, which I did. And I developed a program for professionals that is mainly a business program but conversations about counseling and interacting with families and digging in and really figuring out what they need um, is an important part of the coaching that I do with these professionals because we all know that people come people come to our um, offices or for appointments and they think they know what they need. They're asking for specific things. They think they know what they need. But if you're a really good clinician, uh, you're going to be able to see that there are a lot of things they need that they're not asking for. They probably don't even recognize that they need these things. And as a good clinician, part of your job is to uncover their true needs. Give them what they want, but figure mm-hmm. out what they really need. Um, and oftentimes in my line of work, it's not a diet plan. Mm. And how do you how do you handle that? How do you under the umbrella of dietitian, how do you sort of have one foot in the world of food and diet and one foot in, you know, these this is like more like personal mastery or this is or it's yeah, it's a I whole mean, other level, isn't it? Yeah, I mean I I I will say I'm not a counselor and I don't do counseling. But I think that there is food psychology and eating psychology that is natural and part and parcel to the work that any nutrition professional is doing. Um, So, you know, how do I handle it with the professionals? I encourage them to dig for themselves into ways that they can better connect with their clientele. Because if you want to grow a business, um, you need to be connected with your clients. And some, some professionals are challenged with repeat long-term relationships with their clients. And um, to me, that's a symptom of not really connecting with the client. So we might need to work on, you know, how do you connect with the client? How do you start your um, assessments? How do you welcome them into your office? How do you communicate with them before the appointment, during the appointment, after the appointment? Um, there's so many, there's so many nuances and everybody has their own style. Mm-hmm. But I think that if, you know, if you're dealing with the problem that you can't get enough clients or you're not getting repeat um, traffic, that's a symptom of, well, I could be an optimistic and say, You've, you've given them everything they need in one visit, but the practical part of me knows that's unlikely. Yeah. Transformation <laughs> does not happen in one. No. <laughs> not at all. Right. Not- I mean, that's, I think that's a little bit um, buying into the quick fix ourselves, potentially. Potentially. Yeah. Right. Like thinking that 
you should be able to make that transformation in one or two conversation versus the, which just feeds that instant fix culture even more and nobody wins. No. And I think, I think, you know, to be balanced in this, I think, you know, sometimes people will come and they will just need a good resource and they're highly capable parents around nutrition and feeding, but they got stuck a little in one little spot and good resources and an appointment or two with me, get them right on the right track. They're bounced back and they're good. But if you have somebody who comes, you know, oh, with a child who, you know, has a medical condition, you know, that is something they're going to deal with for the long term. And even though they may not come and meet with me every you know, two weeks for the next year. Ideally, you know, they need a touchstone. And so the appointments with me might be, you know, five, six appointments off over the first, you know, three to six months. And, but then I'm their touchstone. I'm their person. They come when they just want to check in. Like, I think all families need to have a person that they can check in with. It doesn't mean there's a problem. It doesn't mean that there's, uh, you know, crazy stuff going on. It's just a touch point. Hey, this is what we're doing. Are we on the right track? I think we are. All is good. I had a couple of questions about this, that, and the other. You're doing great. I'm here if you need me. So mm-hmm. I, I think that that's, that's another way, um, you know, professionals can look at their role uh, as opposed to looking at it as I've got to get somebody to transform in two visits because that's the only amount of time they're going to come and see me. Look for ways to extend that relationship. Don't be afraid to be that um, person that they come to and return to. Even when things are good, they don't have to come and see you just for bad things or challenges. Do you think that by trying to do too much, it could in fact have the opposite effect of being overwhelming and, mm-hmm. you know, as, as soon as an overwhelm is just, there's not a sustainable yeah. thing to that. Right. Yeah. Overwhelm. And most parents that I work with are overwhelmed in some way, shape or form. You know, they've got their kids enrolled in all kinds of things and activities and they can't get dinner on the table or, you know, they're eating out too much and they don't like it, but they don't know how to not do that. I mean, I think mm-hmm. everybody's busy. If you're a working parent, it's, it's challenging. I'm a working parent. It's challenging. But obviously, my lens is nutrition. So planning meals and getting meals on the table, that's very important to me. And so I know it can happen. But if it's not very important to somebody else, we need to adjust sort of the reality and the goals for them. Um, when, you're, when you're out speaking and, and working with other professionals, what is the, what's the change that you would like to see or what are some of the changes that you would like to see in our North American um, look at food and nutrition and children? Where do you think we're... We're, we're missing the boat as a, as a whole. Yeah. So that's a really good question. So I, I do a lot of speaking on sort of the modern approach to childhood nutrition. Um, I do workshops, full day, half day workshops, keynotes, and the, 
and the, you know, the point of that whole thing and my whole goal for my audience, no matter how I'm delivering this topic, it's to have them have a mindset shift away from it's just about food to this broader scope and view of child nutrition. Yes, it's partly about food, but it's also about feeding and it's also about child development. And we need those three areas to come together for parents to be truly successful. And so in my speaking to other professionals, I'm teaching them these three components. I'm showing them you know, all the basics about food and nutrients, depending on whatever age group I'm talking about, but I'm teaching them about feeding, feeding styles, feeding practices, how to set up structure, how to say no, how to close the kitchen, how to set boundaries and limits. And then I'm teaching them about development, um, which could be, you know, what to expect during toddlerhood and childhood and teenager, but what to capitalize on. What do you need to focus on with the teenager? You're focusing on guiding and governing. You're not hands-free, hey, you're 16, I don't have to do anything anymore. No, your role is to guide and govern. Mm. Um, with, with the uh, toddler, it's to embrace their desire for independence. How can you change what you do in the home to, to um, support and encourage their autonomy and their independence? So when I go out and speak, I'm teaching professionals, my goal is for them to change the way they practice for them to not bring people into their offices and just talk about a meal plan, to actually take this broader definition of child nutrition and bring that into their own practice to, to triage patients using the system of what, how, and why. Because sometimes kids will come in and they need food and nutrient-focused interventions. But other times kids come in and, and it's a developmental thing where the parent isn't supporting their development or it's a feeding thing. So I want, I want clinicians to triage using my sort of the what, the, the why and the how of feeding. I want them to, to triage using those three different areas so they can actually be better and more effective in their practicing. Do you ever get to have the parents, I guess we already covered this, so I don't want to loop back around and I might do it, do an edit, but I'm thinking about parents and their ability to, to navigate this. And, and like, are you teaching the parents to look at their child in the same way? Um, yes and no. Yes and no. What I do with the parents is try to make it as simple and easy as possible. I, my goal for the families that work with me is they walk out and they're like, I got this, no problem. I can do this. Uh, one, two, three, no problem. I'm going to practice those three things or two things for the next two weeks. When I come back, we're going to work on these next. I, I want them to walk out of my office feeling like I've got this. Mm. This is a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. And That's my I'm goal. Hearing- I'm hearing it so empowered. Oh yeah. Right? Like giving yeah. the power back around food yes. and all the corollary benefits. Yes. And the, you can do this. You have all the skills. If you don't have the skills, I'm going to teach you the skills, but you're going to be able to do this. Like mm. you're going to be the nutritionist in your home. You need me right now, but eventually you're not going to need me. You're going, you're going to be able to rock this yourself. 
That's huge. That's huge. Um, what, if you were to look at your own, either your own leadership and what changes would you like to see happen? Say in, I know you're American and we have different health, um, situations in terms of healthcare and, and wellness, but what would you, I'm not sure the right scope because these are systemic changes I'm going to ask you about. Yeah. What would you like to see change in the next five, 10, 20 years? Yeah. So I've thought a lot about this because as I am coming into my 30th year and my children are all grown and flown and I have this opportunity to make big impact beyond just my little office and my website and all that stuff. I really, you know, what I would really like to see over the next five to 10 years is, you know, in America, we have all these health care insurance companies and we have Medicare and we have Medicaid. I would really like to see insurance companies um, include nutrition education for parents as part of their package. Um, I would really like to see mm. them, you know, offer new parents the basics of getting started with feeding the, a baby in the first year of life. I would really like to see pediatrician offices have a pediatric dietitian or nutritionist in the office that can be there to help families in the moment. Um, I would also like to see pediatrician offices offering education, you know, on the little TV monitors in the waiting room and sending families home with quality instructions, not just a piece of paper, but a video or a series of educational materials where parents can learn on their own time. Um, I would also, you know, like to see companies and corporations offering this kind of education to their employees. You know, parents that are working in corporate, the corporate world, they're working parents. Their challenges are different. They don't have the time to go see a dietitian or a nutritionist if their child is having a problem. These um, educational opportunities need to be available within that corporation. Um, and so I would like mm. to see corporate America supporting parents much more on family nutrition and um, all the childhood nutrition things that they could be doing for families just to help them make their lives easier. Um, you want me to keep going? <laughs> oh, I do. But, you know, I also have to tell you, so I am tingling from head to toe listening to you. And so I'm just going to share that that is like usually my lightning rod for intuition, like mm. uh, as far as like, go, 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 go. Yes, yes, yes. So, and it's also painting, it's painting a vision of a more compassionate mm. and um, yeah, a more compassionate look at the employee as the whole person. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think, things are better there than they used to be, but it's also bringing in the, the family. Yeah. Honoring the role of parent. It's nice to say, oh, I have all these people working for me, they're parents, but are you really supporting them? Like, well, are you really honoring their, they've got a job when they go home and they've got a job before they come to work. Are you helping them do those jobs too? I would challenge companies and organizations to do a better job of that uh, because when they do, they're going to have employees who are more committed to them, who have children that are sick 
and out of the office, um, you know, supporting supporting women who and 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 fathers who just have their first child. We could do more with that. Um, and I think I think there needs to be more responsibility in food marketing to children. I really do. I mm. think there needs to be. Um, I I would encourage and push. Um, companies that are developing products to make meaningful products for children that are good products and wholesome products for children, then, then you can market the heck out of them. I don't care, but make sure they're meaningful and good for kids. Well, you have your work cut out for you. I do. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I I literally though, Laura, I have all these ideas and I'm like, how in the hell am I going to get this stuff done? I have no idea, but I have decided that I can't keep this stuff inside me. I have to keep talking about it because once I talk about it, it becomes more real and it becomes more, I don't know, it, it just becomes more common in my brain and, and something I can talk about. When, and I just hope and pray that if I talk about it more, then maybe somebody will hear it and somebody will say, let's do this. You are right. Let's do it. So listeners, <laughs> you're hearing this. And, and that I think is some of the power of be, of being able to connect and, and speak in forums like this, where you just don't know who's going to hear what, but it also establishes, like you say, a practice of yourself articulating it out into the world mm-hmm. instead of keeping it all, you know, up here or, or here. Yeah. And I can, I, I can relate to that from my own point of view, because there's some really uncomfortable things that, that are that are there for me to address in my own industry. And if I, you know, within the self-help industry and what I've observed, especially of late is that energy comes around when you least expect it. Yep. It's not linear Mm -mm. as much as we would like it to be. That's much more like an instant result. Yeah. But I I think people are waking up to certain things. Yeah. I've, I've learned the same thing. And just personally, like I said, that seed was planted 23 years ago when I had my first child. And I kept that close to my heart for a long time. Um, and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't really, I guess the process of letting it out was when I did the TEDx talk and I told my story with my first child and what a challenge it was to feed her. And, um, you know, that's when a lot of this started coming out. And I was like, you know why? I don't need to keep this stuff in anymore. I might not be the person that's able to actually materialize everything, but it's an idea out there that I think, you know, should be out in the world. It should be said. And I, I encourage, I I think as I get older and I'm in this field for longer and longer, I get more fearless that's not to say I don't have fears. That's not to say I don't want to like take on, you know, some big food corporation and go to town with them head to head. I don't want that conflict in my life. I don't want that controversy. However, I am getting more fearless in putting out there the things that I think are wrong uh, when it comes to child nutrition and the lack of support that parents get, which is unfair. And um, I'm just one person. I can't do it all myself. But if there are listeners out there that that are working in this industry, I'm sure this resonates with them because if you're working in it, you see it every day. So let's let's end on a story. Okay. Lots of times the stories come at the beginning. 
but let's end on the story of, of what it was like for you. And when you, because you went into this field, I, am I correct in thinking you went into the field before the challenge occurred? Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. So, so there you were and you had the, your very own challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So I had my first child. I had been a pediatric dietitian for seven years already. And I had worked at two very famous hospitals in pediatric nutrition. I, you know, was at the top of my game, basically. And so when I got pregnant with my first child, I was like, oh, feeding and nutrition is going to be so dang easy. I've got this. We don't have to worry about this. We need to worry about sleeping habits and potty training. I have no clue about those, but feeding her, I got it. It didn't turn out to be very easy. She was a smaller child and um, not very interested in eating. Very, um, I did my system and my, you know, three meals, three snacks, brought her, did everything I knew was right to do. Um, but at a year, she was underweight, and by 18 months, she was anemic. And it was all food and feeding. And I was following the whole, you know, balanced meals. And when she says she's done, take her out. I did. I wasn't forcing her to eat or anything like that. And I ran into troubles. And so I, it was a very humbling, upsetting time because there was a lot of shame around the fact that here I am, a expert in pediatric nutrition, and I can't even feed my own child. So <clears throat> that was a comeuppance for sure. So but it, it's like, hello, imposter syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 And it was, um, it was, but it wasn't only that. It was like, oh my God, this is my child, and this is her brain and her body, and I'm really like screwing things up. Of course, I put all the blame on me. But, you know, um, as it turns out, she is, you know, she's 23 now. She's perfectly fine and healthy. Um, She had a very different personality and approach to food. And I had to learn her temperament, her personality, and I had to work with that as opposed to following some guideline from books that I learned from. Mm. and. So I think that has, you know, at a minimum taught me this great intuition around feeding children. And I bring that intuition to the parents that I work with as well. You have to know your child. And um, a lot of times parents will say, is it bad if I make them take a bite? You need to know your child. How does your child interpret this? Do do they interpret it as pressure or do they and, and, and balk and put their feet down and resist? Or are they compliant and easygoing and take as many bites as you tell them to take. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just, so I learned a lot from that and I had my humble pie. I ate my humble pie, but I guess bigger than that, I started to really realize that boy, oh boy, if I had seven years of training and education and experience in my field and I struggled, what the heck is this like for parents who have no education, no training, and no experience with raising and feeding children? I mean, they're up against a lot. And so I have great compassion for parents who are muddling through um, this whole nutrition and feeding thing because I don't believe it's easy. It wasn't easy for me. It's never, you know, it's been, I'm, I'm, I'm educated and it's been such a great anchor 
to raising my own four children. And I think I've done a, a good job of that. But at the same time, I recognize it's a lot of work and I put a lot of effort into it. And um, as a result, I've, I've created children that I think are capable, independent, well-adjusted kids when it comes to food and eating and their bodies. And that's all I really wanted. I wanted them to be able to to, to grow up and take care of themselves and take care of themselves well. And I think I've done that. Uh, but I recognize I put a lot of time and effort into that. I made it's a priority for me and I made it a priority and I did it with complete sensitivity to the fact that I am a dietitian and it would be so easy for me to fall into the trap of eat clean food and don't eat bad. And let me instruct mm. you on everything about nutrition. I didn't do any of that. I don't think I did any of that. My kids might tell you something different, but I was really um, careful about how I talked about food and about how I interacted with them around food because I'm a dietitian. That's a loaded, that's a loaded topic right there. And and it must it must give you such great context and empathy and a sense of what not just what the individual needs, but what we need as a community and a society as well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's helped me tremendously. If I, I, w- I don't think I would be as effective at what I, I do now if I hadn't faced that early challenge and if I hadn't, you know, been, been a parent of, you know, four children born in five years. I mean, talk about chaos at the table. There was chaos at the table. <laughs> um, but that had, you know, for whatever reason, divine intervention, whatever, that's my reality. I'm a pediatric dietitian. I have four kids and I had my challenges too. And that's my story. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I think it has made me a better clinician. Uh, but I also think it helps me um, help parents in a, in a more sensitive, tuned in way. Mm. Well, Jill, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your experience and also your vision for what's possible. Um, because, you know, this podcast is about connecting to your inner wisdom and, and having an impact. It's very easy to see where the, the impact would be so helpful and how, you know, if we're, if we're in an ongoing daily battle around nutrition, how do we have, energy and stamina and focus for, for much else. And where, if someone wants to go and, and, uh, and connect with you, where is the best place online for them to do that? So my website, jillcastle.com and, um, everything is there, blog, podcast, my services, speaking, all of that stuff. Everything's under jillcastle.com. Thank you for having me and allowing me to, to speak about, um, this topic. It's, something I love to talk about. And um, so I thank you for allowing me to share on your platform. Thanks for listening to Free Your Inner Guru. I hope you got as much value out of that conversation as I did in hosting it. Jill has so much to say, and I love it when a leader is able to share their story and illustrate why empathy and compassion are fundamental to a truly conscious approach to leadership. 
If you know someone who would benefit from listening to this episode, please do share it either from the app that you're listening or come on over to lauratucker.com where the episode page lives. And just for a quick one, it's lauratucker.com slash Jill dash castle for this particular episode where I've included all of the links to everything we spoke about. And uh, if the idea of surrounding yourself with like-minded leaders appeals to you, particularly in our current um, social distancing and our highly changed world, the free community connection and coaching calls continue and registration for those is also back at the main site, lauratucker.com. If you care about personal development, self-help, making a difference in the world, this could be for you. I look forward to um, welcoming new members to that community uh, as we continue to move forward together. Until next time, I'm Laura Tucker, signing off for Free Your Inner Guru.